the addiction podcast point of no return brought to you by narconon suncoast hello jason hello johnny here we are week number is it 72 maybe i think so wow we've been doing this for a while we have, and um, I think you say that every week, but that's okay. It's true every week, and every week it becomes more of a while. <laughs> it does. And, you know, the reason I, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I'm still so impressed that, you know, we took this real kind of basic idea. Let's kind of see where it goes, and it kind of took on a mind of its own, which I think is great. Um, and uh, it does feel like a while. It's because I think you and I – have consistently talked about, you know, what's going on in the world of addiction, what are the state of affairs and giving people, you know, what I would consider to be valuable information. I mean, I wish something like this was around when I was going through my addiction that I could have had access to or my parents could have had access to because it would have been incredibly helpful. Um, And so I'm hoping that we're providing that for other people. Yeah. And, you know, you say something interesting there because I often wonder – you know, who listens? Like we know we have, I think close to 35,000 downloads now, but I don't know if addicts listen. I don't know if you're addicted. I mean, you, you've been addicted so you can look at what the mindset is. I'm not sure you go looking for podcasts about addiction, but I don't know. So I, I, you know what, I think there probably are some addicts that do listen to it. And I think it's probably some parents have given it to their you know, loved ones saying, here, listen to this, see if you like this, see if you think this is helpful or something like that. Um, that you know, might my, be true. That yeah, might be my, true. Parents, my parents used to feed me little bits and pieces of information and stuff like that to kind of urge me in the right direction. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, other families are, are doing that for their loved one that maybe, uh, you know, hooked on drugs to the point where they can't control anything that's going on within their lives. And, uh, you know, something I wanted to bring up is, you know, here we are again, tomorrow is August 31st and it's International Overdose Awareness Day. Right. And this is a day, and this is a day where worldwide we all kind of sit back and, you know, kind of pay tribute to the people that lost their lives um, because of drugs, um, for families that had to bury their loved ones um, because of drugs. Is it an international is it, it is. an internationally recognized day of people who've died on uh, or people who have overdosed? So International Overdose Awareness Day. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a day where we pay tribute to the, you know, the lives that were lost uh, due to the drug epidemic. And, you know, it is an international thing. It's looked at worldwide. Now, of course, most of us here are only kind of privy to what's going on in the United States. And in the last year, I think an estimated 70,000 people died of fatal overdoses in the United States alone. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a lot of people that I feel as though didn't need to die. It's it's uh, it's unnecessary. I think that any addict that dies because of their addiction, uh, it almost it almost dehumanizes them in a way because they go from being someone's you know son or daughter, mother and father, or brother or sister, and they just turn into a number. A um, statistic. Yeah, they turn into a statistic on the CDC's website of yet another person that got a hold of, you know, a bag of fentanyl and shot it up and, and that was the end of it. And while it's sad that we have to have a day like this where we kind of sit back and look at the drug epidemic uh, and, of course, remember the people whose lives were lost but also take a chance to educate the public, I think it's kind of, you know, an indicator of where we're at with the drug problem because 
the fact that we have to have a day like that kind of sheds some light on the fact that like, hey, this is a big problem and it's not going away yet. That's exactly right. But I like to take the silver lining in everything always. And that is that, okay, so we have a day, unlike every other day, it's a day where a lot of the country and a lot of the world are focused on this. I mean, there's tons of rallies and events going on um, all over the country. I know that rapper Macklemore, I think, has something going on in Rhode Island. Oh, that's um, right. That's yeah, right. There's a, there's a lot. And he's actually become kind of an outspoken spokesperson for fighting the drug crisis. And, uh, you know, he has a very, very powerful song and video that goes along with it that talks about, you know, his drug dealer was a doctor. Um, I, I think it's just really interesting. And so either way, there's tons of stuff going on. We get to take this day to, you know, also educate each other about what's going on and support each other in, in, in the common fight that we have. And that's the fight, you know, fight addiction. Right. I wonder if we could get Robert McLemore on the uh, podcast. I would love that. If he's listening, call us. <laughs> well, or if he's not listening, you know, we still might reach out to him or if somebody is listening that knows him um, and could ask him, you know, be our guest. And then, um, you know, I'll get Steve on it. I'll get Steve to find out how to reach out to him and we'll see. If you don't ask, you don't get. That's true. All I can, the best you can do is ask. And, and, and we've so, been and we've been very successful with just asking different people involved in the whole situation and getting them on the podcast. So we'll see if we can find him. Absolutely. And so in commemoration of our International Overdose Awareness Day, I have brought a program graduate on today who okay. is going to share his story as far as what he went through, what you know, what his life was like before his addiction, through his addiction, and what handled it at the end. Awesome. Um, and so I'm really excited to have him here and I'd like to bring him on. Perfect. I'm always, I'm always happy when, um, your graduates are willing to talk to us. So what's his name? His name is Kurt. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi Joni. Hi, Kurt. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, of course. Of course. It's the least I could do. Well, you know, I really appreciate it though, because you know, I, you know, you, I end up asking you to talk about a part of your life that probably isn't like your favorite part you know what I mean yeah and, and so but I think that the stories that um are told on the podcast by the graduates I think resonate with so many people who are listening out there because there are obviously you know differences in every story and yet there are also aspects of every story that um are the same and so I think that listening to somebody like you gives people hope because maybe they see in their family or loved one something similar to what you went through. And so it gives them hope that, you know, they can do something about it. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's, you know, what I would like to do today, you know, or be able to have someone out there hear my story and just kind of your guys discussion at the beginning of the show has kind of been resonating with me a little bit here. And I, I kind of did some rough math in my head, so don't quote me on this, but, you know, 70,000 people a day, uh, roughly, you know, 20 or a year, excuse me, um, dying of overdoses, roughly, roughly 20 people a day. Uh, basically, what it boils down to is during the course of people listening to this podcast today, somebody out there is going to die from a drug overdose. It's sad. So if, if I can help, you know, even just one person out there, you know, I, I feel like like I've done my part, you know? Well, I just about guarantee that you will. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you. So tell me, 
How did you get started on your journey to addiction? Well, um, it was a long journey. How did I get started as a kid? You know, in high school, age uh, age fifteen. You know, started uh, you know smoking pot and doing you know acid and cocaine and that sort of thing, just trying to fit in. Okay, I got to stop you there. You did acid. Yes, yes, I did. That's that to me. Um, and Jason, I know you're not sitting next to the microphone, but you can weigh in on this. To me, acid is one one of the scariest drugs that we've ever decided to play around with. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You definitely uh, scramble, scramble the brain. And uh, I think, it, you know, the full effects of it, I didn't discover until, until years later, which I will get into. But um, yeah, it's definitely not meant for human consumption. Right. So were you doing acid in high school? Yes. Yeah, I was doing, uh, I want to say 11th grade. It's the first time I, I experimented with acid. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we actually we actually went and saw the uh, Woody Harrelson movie Natural Born Killers, which is uh, a pretty wild movie to begin with. Oh, occurred. Yeah, went went to the movie theaters, um, kind of bugged out, so to speak, as they put it. And uh, needless to say, I did not watch the whole movie that evening. I uh, ended up going home and you know sneaking in the window, kind of thing, and uh, and you know kind of staring at my wall for the rest of the night. I'm sorry you can't see my face. I mean, that movie is a nightmare, not on drugs. So to be on drugs and watching it, oh, my goodness. Well, okay. Okay. So you went back to your room and stared at the walls. What next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what next? next? Yeah. What yeah. next? I mean, that was kind of, you know, high school was, um, you know, uh, weed every day, drinking, uh, mostly on the weekends, binge drinking. Um, you know, I ran through like high school and a bit into college. Um, you know, the, the acid was mostly in, in high school and, uh, you know, towards the end of high school moved more into, uh, cocaine and ecstasy, uh, those, those sort of things, you know, uh, harder and harder drugs. Okay. So you're, so you were in college then and in college is when you got into cocaine and, uh, ecstasy, you said? Sure. Yeah. Just kind of like an overview of, uh, of me and my history. I'm a, uh, 41 year old divorced father of two. Uh, I started using drugs at, uh, age 15. So I have a, uh, 26 year, uh, track record of, of abuse of, uh, basically about every substance and chemical out there. And, uh, just kind of moved from one thing to another over the years, you know, never actually dealing with the, with the underlying issue the whole time. Um, Started out, you know, in high school, you know, um, smoking weed, um, LSD, that, that kind of thing, um, cocaine, and kind of towards the end of high school, graduated into, you know, cocaine all the time, um, ecstasy, uh, heroin, that, that sort of thing, um, a, a lot of booze and stuff too, binge drinking, uh, that kind of, uh, kind of sums up like the high school and, and college years, uh, once I got out of uh, college, or, or well, I didn't graduate, but once I, I stopped, I, uh, you know, I fell in love. I, uh, I settled down. I, I had my first child, and um, for a while, you know, I was kind of able to uh, to cage the beast, as I put it. Um, I was still smoking weed all the time, and uh, mm -hmm. yes, yes. So, um, and for me, what that was was, you know, smoking weed pretty much all day, every day. And, and drinking. Um, but I figured as long as I wasn't doing um, cocaine, ecstasy, heroin, 
I, I figured um, that was clean time. I, I kind of considered that clean time. And um, for me, you know, I, I maintained that for probably the better part of a decade, um, smoking weed, drinking alcohol a couple times a year. You know, I would I would let that that, you know, beast out of the cage, maybe Fourth uh, of July, New Year's birthday, that kind of thing. Do some cocaine ecstasy, you know, and then and then put it back away. And did, uh, your, did your wife know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she knew, um, you know, she she had her, her issues as well. Um, oh, okay. for her, she, she was, uh, it was a little easier for her to pick it up and put it down more of a, more of, I guess, a social partier, if you want to, if you want to say, say it that way, put it that way. Uh, so she was easier or a little easier to deal with it. Um, but I was very, you know, as one of these very high functioning addicts, you know, I, uh, I always went to school or went, always went to work. I always handled my responsibilities. You know, my, my kids never went without, um, just very, very high functioning, um, you know, married first house age, you know, uh, 22, uh, you know, nice vehicles. And, and I was able to maintain for a very, very long period of time doing this just with, um, you know, well, what I consider clean time, which was drinking and smoke, smoking weed. And then probably. If I can, if I can just stop you for a second, Kurt, it's just interesting. You know, when I hear, I had someone else on here who um, was an alcoholic, but you know, was functioning. And I, I just, it would make sense to me that when you can take care of your responsibilities and continue to, and continue to work, you don't even necessarily think there's anything wrong with what you're doing. Do you? Oh no. Oh no. I thought I was, uh, I thought I had nothing wrong, you know? Um, but I didn't really see, you know, what, what was going on. I mean, just cause you're taking care of all, all these things in life, all these responsibilities and, and that, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I was still losing out, you know, not fully enjoying life or fully participating in life. Um, I thought I was, but looking back on it and talking to, you know, family and friends, you know, now that, now that I'm sober, you know, I was just never really there. You know, I was just kind right. of mentally checked out, you know, kind right. of going through the motions. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, Jason and I interviewed uh, a graduate of, about a month ago now, and she's she was a housewife and was addicted to pills and alcohol. And you, what you were saying just kind of brought that back to me because when she went into rehab, some of her friends said, well, you don't need rehab. You're just doing pills and alcohol. So it becomes this kind of almost like a way of life that, okay, I mean, you're not shooting up, you know, down, uh, you know, at a crack house or you're not shooting up under a bridge. So therefore it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just interesting. It's an interesting viewpoint that I think we've had, but in a slightly different way. Anyway, go ahead. No, definitely. And, and for me, you know, I always felt like there was, uh, you know, different, different levels, you know, and like, okay, in the drug world, or if I was to refer to myself as a, as a junkie or that kind of thing, it's like, okay, kind of my progression of things of, oh yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm just a pothead, you know, or I, I just drink or, you know, I would, I would never do this or never do that. Or, you know, and then you're, you're, you're snorting cocaine or you're doing ecstasy and it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, but you know, I would, uh, I would never, you know, shove a needle in my arm. You know, if I can't, uh, smoke it or, or snort it, you know, or eat it, you know, that's, that's not for me, you know? And, uh, 
I actually kind of used to really like look to, look down on people that that uh, were IV drug users. You know, isn't that we, interesting? We just kind of detest them, even though like I was a drug addict and a junkie myself. Like to me, like that was like a like a next level or like a even lower existence or or just you know just somehow I I was making they were worse to worse to me, and uh, you know sure enough it came full circle and then I ended up you know uh, becoming an IV drug user myself. You know, wow. so there are there are kind of like different levels, or for myself, like different depths and levels of of addiction that that one can get into. Right, but it's interesting. There's almost like a hierarchy. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Where where you're just doing pot and alcohol, and so oh look at those, or and and you might take cocaine but ingest it rather than inject it, and so it's like oh yeah, but those who inject it, well they're kind of in a different light. It's just it's a fascinating thing. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, it's I like Yeah, it's just like you're justifying it to yourself to make you to you know to make yourself feel better about what you're doing. You exactly. Know? And um, so yeah, no, I, I was saying you know kind of kind of for the better part of my my 30s, you know, it's kind of how how I got through life, you know, uh, drinking and smoking and partying a few times a year, but you know, I just I wasn't really living, you know, I was I wasn't really living life, even though I was taking care of all my, all my responsibilities. And uh, then I want to say probably like 2000 and eight pills here in Florida, like really started coming around, you know, as far as the pill mills, you know, and the doctor shopping and all that. And, uh, you know, that's kind of when I discovered, you know, the, the world of opiates, mm-hmm. you know, I had, I had done some, you know, heroin back in the, in my early twenties, but just here or there, or it was mixed with ecstasy or was after a night of partying or whatever, not, not something on like a, a full blown, um, daily basis, like it became, um, so I was, uh, I was in construction, um, you know, I was a superintendent. Uh, so I was running, you know, multiple job sites, um, multiple guys, you know, and, uh, I, uh, you know, I had gotten exposed to these pills and, and I liked them. And, and then of course, uh, next, next thing, you know, I, I hurt my back. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took that and, and ran with it, you know, um, for me, now you can get the prescription. Right, right. And, and, and that's exactly what I did. And then that's also how, you know, I justified it to my wife and stuff as well. So oh, I'm in constant pain. You know, I do a physical job. You know, this is something that I that I need. And then, of course, you know, it comes under the guise of a of a of a white lab coat, you know, and a fancy name on the door. And, and you go and you, you pick it up at a at a drugstore. Right. You know, it's not like you're buying it off the corner. Um, or in a back alley or something like that, you know, so it's got this real kind of, um, it's okay. It's legit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, and and actually at first, you know, I didn't, I didn't kind of fully realize what it was that I, that I was taking. Um, you know, and a buddy of mine found, uh, let me know probably, probably it's probably like a year into it. Hey, did you know this is, this is basically synthetic heroin, you know, and I, I really had, really had no idea. Um, so I, you know, just kind of carried on, you know, for, for several years, just going to doctors and getting, you know, more medications and more medications, um, kind of in the height here in Florida where you could basically get away with prescribed whatever you want. Um, I was getting prescribed and taking all of, um, 290, um, Roxycodone 30 milligrams a month plus an additional, um, 120 
uh, oxycodones, the, uh, I believe they were 40 milligrams. And then even then I would run out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, they kind of started shutting, shutting things down here in Florida. You know, doctors started prescribing a lot less or started getting kicked out of these pain management centers and, and, uh, stuff just started getting really expensive. You know, the, the habits started getting really expensive and that's when a friend, you know, basically exposed me to, to the needle, you know, say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta try it this way, you know? And, uh, again, it was something I had always, you know, just never wanted to do just, uh, just kind of just detested, you know, and, uh, fi- finally convinced me one day to do it. I was, I was terribly dope sick, you know, I was, you know, going through real bad withdrawals. And I, I was just trying to, at that point in time, you're just trying to, uh, what we used to refer to as just get well, right. you, know, you, get to the, you get to this point where you're using the drugs and it's like, you're not even really so much as getting high as you're just not getting um, sick or going through the withdrawals. So, you know, I had to, had to work and do the whole family thing and everything else. And, uh, basically said, Hey, I, I, you know, I had no money. You know, he said, Hey, I, I got a couple for you, but you have to, you have to let me inject you. So okay. I, I went over to his house, um, you know, he injected me. Uh, I was I was with uh, Dilaudid, and uh, and I was off to the races. Wow! You know, so so from then, um, you know, it was only Dilaudid. Dilaudid was my was my thing at that point in time, and it was it was only IV. It was like I had, uh, well, for lack of a better word, graduated. You know, to the uh, to the to the big leagues of drug use, or you know what I used to think as. Uh, you know, to the, to the scumbags among, amongst junkies, you know, and, uh, and that was it, you know, it was just nothing else would do except in, in the, in the needle now. And then, you know, also, you know, I would do things, you know, from time to time, you know, whatever it was, uh, cocaine or it's like, like once you graduate to the needle, uh, everything now goes through the needle. Right. So prior, sorry, so I'm sorry to cut you off, but so prior to, using the needle and injecting and going down that road, you mm-hmm. hadn't even really necessarily felt the need for rehab. Is that true? No, that's, that's true. It's just something, you know, I felt, Hey, I'm going to work every day. Hey, I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of my responsibilities. I, I don't need rehab. I, I have it under control. Right. And, and really it was all I was doing. I just had built a, a, well, a house of cards, you know, and it was just ready, ready to come down at any minute. Good analogy. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> okay. So when, at what point did you finally kind of have the realization that you needed help or did somebody else um, kind of push you in that direction? Well, um, yeah, I was definitely... You know, at first I was definitely, you know, pushed in, in, in that direction. Um, by, by whom? Well, okay. Um, so my, my wife had found, uh, had found my needles, you know, of course, uh, she asked about it. You know, I told her, told her whatever I would, I would stop, uh, this sort of thing. Um, you know, and then, then, then she found them again and, um, you know, kind of, kind of where it all kind of came to a head is, uh, you know, I got to the point where, um, you know, at one point in my life, I was uh, a jeweler. I worked for, for a jewelry company, and I, I had amassed quite a collection of jewelry. 
so during the course of my addiction and if and you know as as these pills and stuff became more expensive this you know collection had slowly been been whittled down to just kind of really just a few sacred uh pieces which were our uh, our wedding rings so i had pawned our wedding rings for for money and um you know my plan was to was to get them out you know when she she was going out of town for the weekend and she found the pawn receipt for the wedding rings and that's when she kind of you know jumped into action as far as uh she got hold of my family and they uh they did an intervention and uh so that's when I went off to my to my first rehab went off to a to a medical detox and a, an inpatient rehab for um for about 28 days and where when was that that would have been that wasn't until 2016 i believe 2016 okay 28 day rehab yeah how did that go for you well you know um it's something that you know i i learned a lot but but really i just learned how to like um deal with the problems created by the addiction um and not like deal with the addiction itself mm-hmm. basically when i got home basically by the, by the time i got home i had a buddy you know throw a package onto the front lawn with a fresh syringe and and more dilated in it so it it didn't go very well at all okay yeah and did you just do that one time <clears throat> rehab once or did you do it again no i um the the following year 2017 um i tried i tried the rehab again um and uh, this time, you know, when I came back, you know, she, she said that, uh, you know, I was no longer welcome to stay stay at our house and uh, that, you know, and she had just just cause too that that um, didn't feel safe with with me there with the kids, you know, of course, because I'm, you know, nodding out or falling asleep doing stuff around the house or just, you know, it was just wasted all the all the time. So. Right. So how many kids did you have then? I have I have two kids. Two. OK. Yeah. So I came back from the rehab the second time. Uh, she asked me to move out. And then basically, you know, I, I tried some other kind of step down techniques, uh, partial hospitalization program, um, intensive outpatient program, those sort of things um, into sober living. Can I and, stop you for a second? What was the yeah. first one you said? Like a uh, a partial hospitalization program? Yeah. What is that? So it's just like that. And then also the intensive outpatient uh, program, it it just refers to like different levels of care. So partial hospitalization, the program I was doing, I believe was five or six days a week. And you go in there and you're basically in there from like nine in the morning to five at night. And do you get other drugs? No, no, not at, not at there. I mean, there were, there were people that were on like a suboxone maintenance, right? But, uh, but no, I wasn't at, at the time. Well, I kind of just kind of went went back to using, you know, kind of, you know, I try to really play, you know, both sides of the fence. I went back to letting the family, you know, show the family I was I was, you know, trying to sober up and participate in this program and that kind of thing. And then, you know, I'd get done with that and, and go get high. Right. You know, so I I tried those different uh, different things. Um, and that was last year. That was 2017. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was last year. And then, um, you know, got to the point where, you know, after trying to help me, you know, all, all these years and then just, you know, continually doing what I was doing and betraying their betraying their trust and that sort of thing that, um, you know, she just ended up filing for divorce mm. after 17 years of marriage. Wow, that's hard. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, you know, it's still it's still tough. I was always and uh, always am. You know, I was very just very proud father and husband. You know, just a family man. You know, it's just kind of like all I wanted in life. You know, so it was like, and that's the thing about addiction too. Is like I had like just everything in the world to be happy for. You know, I have a beautiful wife, two kids, nice house, nice cars, the the, the little dog. I, I just didn't have the white picket fence. <laughs> you know, it, it was just like it was the American dream. You know, but for whatever reason, you know, I just had these these underlying issues and stuff that I wasn't dealing with and not not finding happiness, you know, in, in life or within myself. And, uh, you know, we just turn to turn to drugs for for this escape, you know, and uh, yeah, I look back on it and it's like I don't know what I was, you know, trying to escape from because I would give anything to have that life back today. Right. I understand. So how did you find Narconon? How did I find Narconon? Now that's a that's an interesting story. So the end of last year, <clears throat> my family approached me, and uh, it was it was kind of it's kind of really funny. Um, I'd heard about the program, you know, just over the years and my different exposure to different programs, and I had reached out to Narconon on a Tuesday, and uh, the gentleman here was was real nice. You know, he talked to me for about an hour. Uh, I just wanted to get off the phone with him. I had. Um, shot up cocaine earlier in the night. And, uh, I was just kind of trying to reach out and find some information. So that was on Tuesday on Friday, my family calls me up and they say, look, um, you know, we know, we know you're struggling. Um, you know, we've got a lot of family support together and we'd like to offer you this gift, you know, and it's called Narconon. And uh, I just thought it was, it was just too coincidental the way the kind of events align there, you know, it was kind of like the universe just kind of telling me, <laughs> Hey, yeah, this, this is where you got to go. Right. Yeah. So, um, of course, you know, even though I, I, I wanted to go, um, you know, when I was ready, got everything set up. Um, I was also, uh, in the works of getting a little bit of the money from, uh, a settlement that I had gotten from, uh, I also got in a real big car accident during all of this as well. Um, you know, a couple years back. So of course I, uh, I got, you know, several thousand dollars of this and I figured, Oh, Hey, one last, one last hurrah, hurrah before, uh, before going into Narconon. So, you know, my, my usage went, went, went just, you know, through the, through the roof, you know, I was up to probably, you know, 20 to 30, um, IV dilated a day. Plus I was doing, um, Molly, uh, crack, meth, I mean, pills, you name it. Um, I showed up at, at Narconon's doorstep and I, I had interviewed with them. Um, you know, it was probably about a, probably a couple weeks earlier. Um, uh, you know, told them what I was using. Um, this is pre pre drug binge. And, um, I showed up on so much stuff. I had to basically get medically detoxed. Wow. So I went to get medically detoxed. The, uh, the only place that would take, um, my insurance was a psychiatric hospital. So, um, I went off there. I got, you know, I got pumped, pumped full of psych psychiatric medication, which I had never, um, 
you know, used in, in my life. You know, it's not never something I had ever, ever had to deal with. Um, so I came back to Narconon and, um, I was, I was just a mess. I, uh, I was here for, this is, now this is, uh, um, August of 2017. I was here for about a week, you know, I wasn't sleeping and, and basically I went, uh, to, into what's called, you know, a drug induced psychosis. And, uh, this is something you know, like a lot of people that do do meth will uh, will experience. You know, maybe they're up for five, eight days, and and a drug induced psychosis can usually last a few days. Um, mine was actually kind of termed termed a uh, a uh, prolonged psychosis. So I was hallucinating, hearing voices, not sleeping. Um, you know, I was just completely out there. Thought I could uh, read minds and just. I, I mean, I was I was out there. I, I couldn't. Um, you know, stay at Narconon just because I became, you know, just a, uh, I don't want to say a, a threat to people's safety. I wasn't violent in any way, but just maybe, maybe more of to my own safety. Right. So, so they, uh, they checked me into a, to a local hospital, which then checked me into, to their psychiatric ward. Um, in the state of Florida, there's a thing called Baker Act where basically, you know, you can be checked into a hospital for like a 72 hour hold. And, um, that 72 hour hold turned into 15 days. Um, during, during that point in time, um, they were giving me every medication on, under, under the, under the moon. Um, and it was the kind of place where if you refuse the medication, they just basically hold you down and administer it to you. Um, my behavior was so off the wall. They actually took me to court while I was there and, um, found me legally insane and uh, sentenced me to to three months in the loony bin. So I uh, I had to get a uh, a lawyer. Family got a lawyer and uh, and ended up getting me out of there out of there early. And uh, tried to chill out with family for a little while for a week or two. And then I tried coming back to Narconon because like all I wanted in the world was like to go to Narconon and you know to handle my handle my drug addiction. Now, let was, me just let me just stop you for a second. So you're you're a drug addict, but you're a functioning addict. Yeah. Then you end up at at a psychiatric facility where you get pumped full of psychiatric drugs. Mm-hmm. And then you become psychotic. I'm just trying to get the correlation here. Jason knows how much I abhor the use of any type of psychiatric medication because medications that are supposed supposed to alleviate psychosis or depression or anxiety actually cause psychosis, depression and anxiety. Yeah, it's a vicious it's a vicious circle, you know, and you're so misdiagnosed and stuff. You know, while I was going um through it, you know, I gave, they just threw like one diagnosis after another at me. You know, that just became the diagnosis became more and more severe. And then, you know, accordingly, the medication became, you know, more and more and more severe. That, uh, that is so messed up. I, I, it, I just, I'm sorry. I, I will let you finish your story. But that is so messed up. I mean, it's but, just go ahead. It was, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, it, it was an absolute it was an absolute nightmare. Um you know, so at this point in time, you know, they might start out with, you know, something for, you know, to calm you down in Ativan or Xanax. You know, by the time you leave, they're 
giving me stuff, antipsychotic medications like Haldol and um, like Sustena and Vega, you know, that sort of stuff, really, really heavy duty stuff. And um, family tried to chill me out for like a week or two. And I tried coming back to Narconon and um, I still just was not in the right, you know, mental state to, to participate in the program. So um, left, left again. Um, family put me up in a hotel and, and this is last year in Florida when the big hurricane came through. Oh, great. The big hurricane came through. I'm in the middle of this prolonged psychosis. You know, I've been diagnosed with, uh, paranoid schizophrenia. I'm hallucinating, hearing voices. Um, you know, thinking like I was, you know, floating around or flying or, I mean, I was, I was out there. Um, I got picked up. This is the night of the hurricane, so nine one one service has been canceled and that kind of stuff. So I got picked up about two o'clock in the morning. Um, at this point, all I had left was a backpack with a couple pair of pairs of clothes in it. I had uh, tied a shower curtain around my neck as like almost like a cape, and I was wearing sunglasses because I was just so tired. And I was I was walking down the middle of the highway, and I got I got picked up um, by the authorities. And brought back to another um, psychiatric institution, and uh, again for another Baker Act, another another seventy-two hour Baker Act that, that lasted nine days, and uh, and there again, you know, they shot me up with all all kinds of antipsychotic medication. So it was really like once it once it snapped, like from all the years of drug use and went on the binge and the and the not sleeping and everything. And when, once it's uh, once my my mind snapped. I mean, it really snapped for, for a long period of time. Um, I got out of that, that uh, second ins institution there. And now by this point, you know, family was done with me. Um, friends were done with me. Nobody, nobody wanted to, to, to help me. I, I was able to, to get out of the institution because I, I did find a friend that, that would let me stay with them. And after a couple of days of being there, he basically said it. And, and nobody tells you you're crazy when you're going through it. You know, everybody put it to me like, you're, you're acting different or, or you're not yourself. And, um, so even this last friend, he just basically asked, asked me to leave. So I, I ended up living, um, homeless in the streets. Um, so this is within just, just a couple month period, you know, to go from, you know, a homeowner, um, family business, wife, two kids, vehicles, you know, whole nine yards, uh, to, to a backpack with a, with a couple changes of clothes, um, living homeless in the streets. And, um, you know, I felt, you know, very, very deep to deep depression. And, um, you know, I slowly like started coming out of this psychosis, but I didn't realize that it had all been like drug induced. Like I hadn't connected the dots yet. Right. So, you know, I, I got back on my feet. I, you know, I started working, I got myself a new truck, you know, I, I kind of got back on my feet really, really fast once I came out of it. And then, you know, I just looked at my life and like, just it was shambles that it was in. I just something I couldn't face, I couldn't confront, you know, and I went, I went right back to the needle. But now by this time, you know, um, the lot is, the lot is are, are very expensive here. So, I moved on to to heroin, and then you know these days it's all fentanyl, right? You know, so so I so I got back on the fentanyl, and um, you know it's just a mess all of last year, like through through the holiday season, holiday periods, and um, you know there was actually a, a point in time there shortly after the after the holidays, I uh, ended up you know um, you know trying to commit suicide. So it, it was just it was just a real 
real just downhill pro- progression. And I, I just kind of turned into this just basically just didn't care anymore. Um, you know, I had kind of gotten my stuff back together and then got back in drugs and then, you know, just kind of ruined it all over again. And I was now at this point living in my drug dealer's house. You know, the job I had got had kind of run out. So the new truck, you know, now I'm, you know, three months behind on, on my payments. And uh, I just had given up. You know, I basically stopped eating. Uh, wasn't going to, to whatever work I had. Was kind of living in this guy's house. Just, just you know, he was nice enough to let me live there. Maybe because I bought so many drugs off him. I'm not sure why. And just was like. <laughs> Just was like at at my rope's end, and it was just like you know, oh my, oh my God, what am I gonna do? You know, I I have to do something here, and and I was just sitting around thinking one day, and I said, you know, gosh, you know, let me let me call call Narconon, you know, let me let me see if there's if there's any hope still there, you know, um, because I had started started the program before before I had to leave, and then I mean they were they were gracious enough, you know, to to open me, you know, welcome me with with uh, with open arms. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm not done talking to you, but I'm just going to say your story is such an example of how bad it can get with addiction then leading into psychiatric medications, which I can only, I mean, psychiatric medications mess up like normal, healthy people. So psychiatric medications on top of someone who is has already abused drugs and alcohol has got to be just the most lethal combination ever. And I mean, here's the example. I mean, you're you're lucky that you made it to Narconon. You know, it sounds to me like you could have died just as easy. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very I'm very fortunate, very fortunate. I mean, there was literally a time on the. Uh, the psychiatric medication and stuff where, um, yeah, just so delusional. We have a, we have a large, um, major highway that runs up and down through the County here called us 19. And, and depending where you're on on it, it's anywhere between like six and eight or maybe 10 lanes of traffic. And literally would just like literally just walk out, out into traffic thinking that, um, you know, I could basically be like become, I don't know, like invisible or the cars could pass through me. I mean, I was just like that, whacked out of my head from the from the psych meds and I, and I tell people it's like um you know I've pretty much I've tried every street drug or prescription medication except for PCP and um uh street drugs have nothing on psych drugs nothing whatsoever I mean if someone forced me to have to either reuse street drugs or reuse psych drugs I would reuse street drugs. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they are, I mean, this comes from someone that has a lot of experience, a lot yeah. of experience with street drugs. And, You've uh, been there and done that, and so you know that as bad as it gets with street drugs, you know, that doesn't hold a candle to what it's like on psych drugs. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. that's a that's just such an indictment against psych drugs. And if anybody's listening and you're on any kind of psychiatric medication or considering putting your kids or anybody, you know, on psychiatric medication, you need to think again and you need to re-listen to Kurt's story like over and over again until you get the message. Wow. Okay. So Narcanon took you in or took you back. And they did. At what point, during the program, did you 
realize that you could actually be clean and sober again because you hadn't been clean and sober since you were 14 years old. Right. Yeah. For me, for me, it's been, it's been a long journey. And, um, I would say probably about halfway through the program, I really felt like I started to like clear up, you know, um, mentally, you know, and, um, that's kind of when I really started to realize like what had happened and, and what had went on. And then, also the 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 end of the program where where they're just teaching you you know for you know the underlying reasons for the addiction which are you know specific to each individual and then you know just the different ways of handling situations in life and that and that kind of thing different conditions and people and stuff and uh and really like applying what I've learned is kind of you know that's when I kind of really realized that I could that I could live drug free you know because if you handle those underlying issues and those reasons for using drugs in the first place, then there's, there's no reason to use them at all. Right. Wow. Well, you sound like you're doing really, really well. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am doing really, really well. That's awesome. What does the future hold for you? Well, you know, um, at the end of my uh, my Narconong program, um, you know, at every Narconong program, there's a uh, an exit strategy, right? Where people are, you know, set up so they know where they're going to be working, know where they're going to be living, and uh, mine came with what I'll just call a hiccup. Um, so I thought I was going to to be leaving and, and moving on, you know, and uh, and and it didn't it didn't work out that way, you know. So for me, what I've decided to do is actually stay on here at Narconon. They have a thing called the Senior Student Program. And basically, you're here on like a volunteer basis. And for me, it's just like here to like, like help pay it forward, you know, like mm -hmm. I can help anybody, you know, in my situation or anyone who's gone through worse than me or, or hasn't gone through it yet. You know, if I can help out one person, you know, then, then I, I feel like, you know, I've done my part and. And, uh, and already, you know, um, I've, I've done more than that. So it's, it's very rewarding to, you know, to stay and, and pay it forward. Right. And then you can decide if it's something that you want to make a career out of it or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, and for me, you know, it's just giving me, uh, more time to get, to get more stable, you know, and, you know, build a more solid foundation to stand on right? and, and just kind of learn the, you know, learn, you know, the program, I don't, I don't want to say industry because it's just so unique to anything else I had ever done. You know, the stuff I had done was mostly like 12 step and that works for a lot of people. I mean, it's worked for, for millions of people, you know, it just yep. didn't work. It just didn't work for me. Right. You know? Um, so it's just really interesting to learn, you know, how this program works and, 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 and just watch it every day work, work for people. So, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I've committed. So there's a there's a six month, basically like an internship or you could call it sober living or, or that kind of thing, you know, and then at that point in time, um, you can kind of apply for a job if, if you've you know proven your your worth over those six months. So, you know, I've, I've committed to a year um, here and, uh, you know, just trying to do everything I can to, to help as many people as I can and, you uh, you know, just to kind of help grow, grow the center and the, and the Narconon program while I'm here. And, and like I said, you know, just, just to pay it forward. I, uh, when, when I left here or when I wanted to leave here, it was just basically cause I was like, okay, I've lived in the drug world my whole life. I'm just done in the drug world, you know, and like, 
you know, to me, like Narconon, you know, is a part of the drug world. And I, I thought to myself one day, you know, I said, gosh, I've done so much bad in the drug world. You know, why don't I stick around and do some good in that drug world? You know, and, the, and that's what I'm doing here every day. You know, that's a great perspective. I mean, it is. I can see the viewpoint of wanting to get out of it and get back into some other aspect of life. But then I can also see, you know, the desire to pay it forward, give back and, you know, make a difference in that area. And I just I think it's so laudable when a graduate like you does that because you have so much reality with the students who come there who feel that their life is completely over because of their addiction and there is no hope for them. And then when they see someone like you or someone like Jason or someone like the other staff members there who came through addiction, I just think it, you give them hope. You really do. Because it's it's not someone like a clinician or someone like me who's never experienced addiction saying, oh, that's okay, we can help you. It's someone who goes, I've been there, okay? I know what this is like, and you can come through this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Huge, huge. Thank you. Well, thank you. When did you finish the program? I finished the program on June 20th. Okay. Yeah, so I've been you know, here helping out for a couple months now. And, um, you know, again, as far as you had asked a little bit earlier, as far as, uh, you know, when did I, I feel like I was really, you know, done with drugs and, and off drugs and not wanting to use again, you know, while, while I've been here working, I've really been applying like what they taught me, like to my life, you know, there's certain things they, they teach you. And, and some of the things they have taught me, um, with my family and stuff and how to, work through, you know, different conditions in my, in my family life and that kind of thing. Um, and they lay it out, you know, it's, it, it, it seems like almost too simple the way it's laid out, but then you actually start like doing it and, and it works like, um, okay, for me, like my family, I, I'm, I'm local here in, uh, in Clearwater, Florida area, you know, I'm around here for 25 years. So I have a lot of family around here, but, um, you know, none of, none of my family would speak to me, you know, while I was in the program. I hadn't seen um, my kids except for for twice in basically the last year. Um, after everything went went wrong with the with the psychiatric hospitals, I saw them on um, in the end of October and then on Christmas. You know, hadn't talked to my brother in a year and a half, and I've been been applying all these things I've learned, you know, to my family because that's really kind of like my core values and what's important to me, and and and, and that's what I gave up during drug use and. You know, just just today I had my my mom come by here for lunch. Um, tomorrow, my son. Excuse me. My son is coming by tomorrow. So, like, it's just just huge, like. Taking what I've learned here and then applying it to life and then just actually watching it, it work, you know, and then I, I see it with the students that come through the program every day. They they come in and. I, in a certain mindset or their, their life's in turmoil and just as they go through each step of the program just to watch it get better and better and uh it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of that's awesome that is so awesome thank you so much for sharing your story with us i think that your story is going to resonate with a lot of people and that's what makes it valuable and i can tell you right now in spite of everybody you've seen there at the center that just doing the podcast today and telling your story, you're changing the lives of other people. And that's, 
That's major. So thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you. It, it's it's been an, been an honor, you know. Uh, thank you for letting me be a part of this, and um, you know, I'm just just happy to to help in any way. Absolutely, and I look forward to meeting you when I'm back in Clearwaters. Uh, my husband Steve, who's the producer of the podcast, he and I come to Narcanon all the time, so I'll make sure Jason points you out and introduces you. That would be that would be great. You know, I I, I say you know I always like to put a a face uh, behind the voice. You know, yes. so. It's, so that's as, as do I. Yes. <laughs> okay. Why don't you two switch places then? And uh, Jason, we'll wrap this puppy up. Good job, Kurt. That was really good. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That was good. Well, that was awesome. Okay. Now let's give a pause. That was awesome. That was amazing. I think that um, Kurt's story just, it has it all, <laughs> you know, the yeah. whole justification on being a functioning addict, the whole aspect of going down the road of injecting, yep. um, the his whole perspective on psych drugs. I mean, I'm sorry, Jason. Okay, he was an addict, no question, and then addiction is what it is. But he didn't become psychotic till they put him on psych drugs. I mean, come on, that it's just that's insane. It's ridiculous, but it's also like the mainstream, you know, way things are handled um, in our society. It's During so drugs, wrong. Get you on psych drugs, it doesn't work clearly, um, and I think everyone knows both you and I's thoughts, feelings, and opinions on. Uh, on that type of thing. But the good news is that he's doing well. He's moved forward. He's getting his family back. His whole life is on track and he's paying it forward. And I, I don't think we could ask for anything better. Absolutely. I I'm, I'm just, I'm very impressed. I can't wait to meet him. Um, and well done you and the team there because you know, you, uh, you've helped make a difference in his life and now he's helping make a difference in other people's lives. And that's really kind of what it's all about and why you and I talk every week. And <laughs> keep talking. Exactly. It's not just because I like to hear myself talk because I really don't. <laughs> so um, we will talk again next week. And I know that you guys have some very special and memorable things that you're doing for um, Overdose Awareness Day tomorrow. And so we'll talk more about that next week as well. Awesome. we Will do. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 